Glad you made it on a day where there's that crazy ball of fire in the sky that we don't know what to do with in Michigan. So uh, it was like, oh, we better run away from it and go inside. So I'm glad you made it. Uh, My name is Noel. I'm one of the pastors. And we are in a series right now uh, working through what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. And so what I want to do today is I want to start by not talking about this series, but the series that we just went through. So the series we just went through, we talked about our new mission statement as a church. And that mission statement is at RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like him. And when we rolled out this mission statement, we knew that there were a couple words in here that were going to generate some questions. And I expected that the word that was going to generate the most questions was going to be this one right here, stumble, but it actually wasn't, at least not in my experience. The question that I got the most the word I got the most questions about was the word enjoy. I had a lot of people say to me, like, how do I enjoy Jesus? And so I want to give you my simple little answer I gave most people, and that is, uh, do you have people in your life that you enjoy? Like if you're a parent, you enjoy your kids at least some of the time, uh, right? And there's some friends that you text when you have problems going on in your life. There's just people that in your life you enjoy. And what happens is in our relationship with Jesus, we tend to think about our faith as a very stoic thing, uh, a very religious thing, a thing that we, we go check a bunch of boxes and we don't think about our faith as something that we ought to enjoy, but scripture shows us so clearly um, that it is. And I think it's so fascinating and telling to me that joy is something that we don't think about as coinciding with our faith. As Christians, Jesus should be high on our list of people that we enjoy because Jesus is God. He is also human. He actually wants to have a, a relationship with us and we should enjoy that relationship with Jesus. And, and in fact, he should be right at the top of the list. Like my friend Joby says, he says, Jesus doesn't do second, right? In everything in our lives, he wants to be first. So I want you to hold that in your head as we talk today about that idea of joy. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive into this, this idea. Heavenly Father, we, we confess that, that we don't often enjoy our faith. Uh, our, we don't enjoy our relationship with you. So often, it just seems like our, our belief system, our faith, feels like a duty to us. It feels like a burden to us. It feels like a series of checkboxes to us. And so we just pray that you would um, light the fire of joy inside of our lives um, so that we know what it is to truly have joy. Uh, We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you'll notice already that I've bopped back and forth between two words, even in just that little introduction, the word enjoy and the word joy. And how are these two words, enjoy and joy, connected? Well, joy is, at its most basic level, feeling or experiencing great happiness and pleasure. That's what joy is. What enjoying something is, at its most basic, is receiving great happiness and pleasure from someone or something. So you could say that joy is the noun and enjoy is the verb. 
And enjoy is, it comes from a source. You get that joy from someone or something. I want you to hold on to that as I read a very famous passage in the Bible in John 17, or John 15. These are the words of Jesus. And I'm going to read a big chunk that normally we only hear a few little bits of this out of context, but I want to read the whole thing together. And you're probably going to, if you've been around the church, you're going to recognize some very famous stuff in this chunk, starting in John 15, verse 1, where Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gathered them, throw, threw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I don't call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, and your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you, this is what I command you, love one another. <laughs> okay, there's a long passage, right? But all of this passage works together for this one singular point that Jesus is trying to make, and he tells us right in the middle the point that he's trying to make. It's in verse 11. Did you catch it? Jesus said, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And I believe that verse is critical to understanding this entire passage. Jesus wants your joy to be complete. He wants you to have the joy that he has, and he wants you to be overflowing with that joy. What's joy? Feeling or experiencing great happiness and pleasure. That's what Jesus wants for you. He wants you to have not just a little bit of joy. He wants your joy to be absolutely complete. And do you see where he says this joy comes from? He says, it is my joy. <laughs> I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. He wants to be the source of our joy. He wants us to enjoy him. In fact, you could argue that this entire passage is a master class in our mission statement. Let's put it up again. 
At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like him. In this passage in John 15, Jesus is doing what? He is inviting. Whoa, go back. He is inviting everyone to do what? To know him. And to do what? To enjoy him. And since we can't do that on our own and we're going to fall over as we're trying to do it, we're stumbling and he's inviting all of us to do this. So we are together, right, as we're doing this. It's, and, and what is our pursuit? He, he tells us in this passage, he wants us to what? Love like him. It's right there. It's almost as, it's as if Jesus plagiarized our mission statement in John 15. <laughs> I'll have to have a conversation with him one day in glory, but I, I think we'll be okay, right? <laughs> I'm waiting for lightning, right? It's a good day. It's a blue sky day. <laughs> the context of this passage is Jesus, check this out, heading to the cross. Jesus is about, in John 15, to be betrayed by one friend, denied by another, and abandoned by everybody else. In the chapter before this one, he confessed that he was greatly troubled He has talked to his disciples about the fact that they have anxiety that he is aware of. In the next chapter, he's going to tell them that they're going to be hated for following him, and he's going to talk about the crushing sorrow that he's going to feel on the cross. That's the context of Jesus talking about joy. It's in that context of deep pain and sorrow that Jesus says, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. I wonder if Jesus' definition of great happiness and pleasure is perhaps a little bit different than mine. (laughs) Because somehow, Jesus is able to decouple joy from his external circumstances. Let's work our way through this passage because it's here. First five verses. I am the true vine, Jesus says. And my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you could do nothing without me. So remember, this passage is fundamentally about what? Joy. Right? And Jesus told us um, that this was about joy. And I'm not sure that I've ever heard anyone teach this passage and have it have anything to do with joy. Let's work our way through this just powerful visual Jesus just gave us. In this visual, he breaks down like four, I guess you can call them characters in his visual, right? And it all has to do with this picture right here, right? All right, this is a grapevine. So let's talk about this for a second. This is Jesus' picture. First, look at the vine. Do you see the vine? You know where it is? It's this part, down here. Now, we don't think about this big, gnarly, tree-branch-looking thing as the vine, but that's the vine. This part, this big, gnarly part, is the only part of the whole grape thing, grape plant, grape scenario, grape situation, that touches the ground and provides nourishment. If you don't have this vine, this beefy vine, you got nothing. And who did Jesus say the vine was? He is. Jesus is the vine. Okay, second, the fruit. That's the grapes, right? 
Now, it's easy when we're dealing with a text like this to assume that we know what the fruit is, especially since we're doing a series on the fruit of the Spirit, right? But that isn't necessarily what the fruit is in this passage. Because sometimes, you know how like sometimes you'll use the same metaphor to mean two different things at different times? Well, Paul wrote the passage um, in Galatians about fruit of the Spirit. Jesus is talking here. He may be talking about the same thing. Some people believe he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and that might be right. Other people think that he might be, he's talking about people sharing the gospel with people and people coming to Christ and becoming Christians, that that's the fruit, and, and, and they might be right. We can't be dogmatic about that, but I think in the context of this passage, when you look at the surrounding verses and the surrounding chapters, and in fact, all the book of John, I think that what we'll see is the fruit that he's talking about is love in particular. I think that's the context here. Jesus seems to be focusing on this passage on loving like him. I want you to hold on to that because I think the fruit is love. And what is in between the big gnarly vine and the fruit? The branches. Do you see the branches? These are the tiny little branches. Those wimpy little things that you can break. Sometimes they're like, you have to twist them like this or you're breaking them, right? Those little branches, that's you. We are, and I love how TJ said it last week when he was preaching on love. He said, we are the conduit of God's love to people. We are the conduit of love from Jesus to fruit, right? And so what does Jesus say to the branches? What is their job? He said, remain in me. Other translations say, abide in me. Hold on to that. We'll get back to it because there's a fourth character you may have forgotten about. It was in the first verse. He says in the first verse, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. God the father is the gardener. And what does he do in Jesus' illustration? Well, first he finds some branches that are completely dead and he cuts them off, tosses them into the fire. Oh, we're gonna get to that in a second. Um, and then he finds branches that are bearing fruit. And what does he do? He cuts them. He prunes the ones that are actually bearing fruit so that the, they will bear more fruit, which is totally counterintuitive. Anybody who's any, done any gardening right now, someone just said to me this morning, standing outside in the sun, they're like, whoever did the landscaping at Riv killed it. And I'll tell you what they did. They killed the, the friggin' trees. I watched them do it. They got out these big branches. And one day, I, I had this panic. I pulled in. Uh, I, I, uh, this is not in my notes, but, you know, you got all day, right? So, um, so, so I, was, I was pulling into the parking lot one day, and there were just piles of branches in the parking lot. And I am like, I am going to kill whoever killed all of our trees. But because they pruned them is why they're so beautiful today, Right? That's what pruning is. Sometimes you cut what is fruitful so that it will bear more fruit. Now, big question. Who's responsible for the fruit? Well, the gardener prunes. The vine, Jesus, brings life and nourishment. What do we do? Well, we hang out, right? We remain in him. Hold on to that, verse 6. He says, if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So what is Jesus talking about here? Who is the branch uh, that does not abide, that does not remain? Some people look at this and say, well, there, there you go. That's proof that what he's talking about is there are some people who are Christians, and then they cease to be Christians. They lose their salvation. 
Because they didn't remain in Jesus. They didn't abide in Jesus. They are tossed into the fire. But there's a problem with that, and it's three verses earlier. Jesus said something that didn't fit the context. He's talking about grapes. He's talking about gardeners. He's talking about vines. He's talking about branches. And then in verse 3, he says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. What a weird thing to say. Why did he say it? Well, that's what I call a gospel juke. Um, where he just like, he jukes to the good news to remind us of something, right? So he's, he's tracking along on his illustration. He goes, oh, by the way, you're already clean. What's that? John 13, two chapters before this, he used clean as an illustration of you being saved. So clean was this idea that we have been cleansed from our sin. So he's already established it. He's like, I, before you get and may misconstrue what I'm about to say, Jesus says, I want you to remember you're already clean. You're already saved. There's nothing that can cause you to lose that salvation. He kind of jukes over to that and then comes back. And he says, but there is a sense in which I'm commanding you, I'm telling you, abide in me, remain in me so that you may produce more fruit. What does that mean? Well, there's two dangers right now, because if he just had this whole conversation, and he says, basically, if, if you're a disciple of mine, he's like, we're going to see the fruit in your life. And what happens is there's two dangers. The first is, we look at people who are not very loving, and we're like, well, I guess they're not a Christian. And then on those days where we're not being very loving, we go, well, am I even a Christian? But you have to get this. It's really important. We referenced it two weeks ago, but get this. We get this in Michigan. Sometimes it's winter. Sometimes it's just dry. And in those seasons, there isn't as much, if any, visible fruit. Maybe you are in one of those seasons right now. You had big plans for your life but they're not panning out. You've been betrayed by a close friend. Maybe you were even betrayed by your spouse. You aren't feeling fulfilled at work or the gas prices are so high that it's really making it hard for you to make ends meet in other arenas. Sometimes it's winter. Sometimes it's dry. What do we do in those seasons? How do we find joy in those seasons? We remain in Jesus. We abide in Jesus. That word remain can actually be translated more literally in Greek. Keep on remaining. We just don't say that in English. He says, you're already in Christ. You are already uh, part of his branch. So just keep on doing that. Keep on abiding in him. Keep on remaining in him. Hold on to that. Verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. This is tricky and not tricky, this passage. He's basically saying there is proof that you are Jesus' disciple. You will bear fruit. And I think in the context, he said, you are just going to become a more loving person over the course of your life if you are a follower of Christ. You're going to bear some fruit. And when there's fruit in your life, God is going to be glorified. And this is crazy. You can't do anything to create that fruit in your life. He's the one who does it. He's the one who gives nourishment. The vine is the one who brings that to you. All you do is hang out and remain in Jesus. And with that said, while there's nothing you can do to create fruit, 
there is stuff you can do in your life to help cultivate more of that in your life. Do you see it in this passage? It's right there. Let me reread it again. If you remain in me, and what? My words remain in you. There is great spiritual power in God's word. The Bible is how you get to know Jesus more. It's how you learn to enjoy Jesus more, but it doesn't stop with that. What does he say next? He doesn't say, if my words remain in you. He says, then ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. That's prayer. Now, this doesn't mean, by the way, that God is a cosmic vending machine, right? And you just put in the coins, and then he, you ask him whatever you want, and it kind of kicks it out right on the other side. That's not what he's saying in context. This little verse is about the conversation we as followers of Christ have with God. And this is how our conversation with God goes. We engage with his word, right? We read it, or we listen to it. Because I've been finding just the last couple of years, I listen to the Bible way more than I read it. Every morning, I get out, I turn on, I have this Bible app called the Dwell Bible app, and I make my coffee while I have my headphones in, and I'm listening to about 20 or 30 minutes of the Bible every morning. And sometimes I do it on double speed, and then it's only 10 or 15 minutes. But you, you listen to the Word of God, or you read the Word of God, and what happens is as you do that, it remains in you. It sticks, and you begin to pray back to God according to His will, because you're praying according to what you're you're reading, and that is your part of the conversation back to him, and then you're reading in the word, and this is how you become more and more like Jesus and bears the fruit of Jesus in your life. So here's the question. I've just done most of my sermon and barely mentioned one word, joy. <laughs> what does any of this have to do with joy? Well, remember, Jesus told us that they would receive joy from him, that the point of this passage is so that they would receive joy and that their joy would be complete. All right, imagine, and some of you don't have to imagine, that you are in one of those winter seasons right now. You're in one of those dry seasons right now. The outward circumstances of life are pressing in on you. And what happens is outside circumstances tend to determine our inner reality and our inner attitudes. If things are going extremely well in life, we're happy and joyful. If things are really crappy, we have a negative outlook on life. And what Jesus is saying, on his way to the cross, about to be betrayed, talking about his great sorrow, and the fact that his disciples are about to be hated, is there is a key to joy despite your outward circumstances. What is it? His word remaining in you and you responding back to him and say, responding and asking him whatever you want because what you want is changing through the word. And then as that loop happens in your life, you're able to have joy despite external circumstances. Let me just pick one example I gave earlier. Let's say you've been betrayed by a close friend. That's winter. Most of us have probably experienced that at some point in our life. That sucks. And what do we do when it's dark like that? We go to the word of God. Just let me just give you one simple passage in Hebrews. Hebrews 13. Jesus himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And what happens is, just reading that doesn't take away the winter, does it? 
doesn't take away the pain, does it? But when we take this truth and we sit in it, we remain in it, we abide in it, and then we ask God, because we'll want to ask whatever we need, will you make this real in my life? He begins to do a work. We say, God, give me the confidence of knowing you're not going to leave me or abandon me like my friend did. Help me to know that you're my helper. Help me to not be afraid. What can man do to me? So this morning, I woke up early and I couldn't sleep. And so I just turned on my phone. And the first thing that was on my phone was this news alert about this shooting in Buffalo yesterday. And it just, and if you didn't hear this, there was this shooting and the, the shooter is clearly racially motivated. And he drove super far to go shoot up a grocery store. And I just thought, how can I go preach a sermon on joy? Right? How can I go preach a sermon on joy when this just happened in our community? This just happened, in, not in our, but in our country. And I was thinking of all my, my black brothers who, who pastor churches in, in, in predominantly black communities and, and, and black brothers and sisters in our church who today is going to be really heavy and I'm going to talk about joy. I'm like, how can I do that? And then my mind raced back to this passage in Hebrews. For Jesus has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? It didn't feel right, but we can pray that God would make that feel right. And then I got in my car and I, I turned on um, my, my Spotify connected. And the first thing that popped up was this old gospel song by Andre Crouch. <laughs> and uh, the song is soon and very soon. <laughs> and here's some of the lyrics. It says, soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. No more crying there, we're going to see the king. No more dying there, we're going to see the king. And those words are just ripped out of the book of Revelation, where we know that one day we'll see King Jesus and there will be no more sorrow and no more pain. And I began to pray in the car, would you make this real in the lives of people who are facing this terrible evil of racism? Would you make this real? And by the way, Jesus didn't just rip this stuff out of thin air. This is throughout all of scripture. You go back to Psalm 37 and it says this. It says in Psalm 37 verse four, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Delight, joy. Find your joy there. Look at this verse in in 1 John 5. It says, this is the confidence we have before him. If, If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. James 4.3 says, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it, on your, spend it on your own pleasures. Again and again and again, what we see in scripture is as we place our joy and our hope in Jesus, instead of in our circumstances, then we can ask according to his will. And he'll change us from the inside out again and again and again, by the way. Jesus makes his will clear for us. If we want to know what that is, it's right there in this passage in John. I read it earlier. Verse 9 through 11. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. He's saying if you keep his commands, what is he talking about? Well, he's about to tell us what his commands is. Verse 12, this is my command. See, he just did it for you. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends, which was what Jesus was headed to do on the cross. He says, this is how you love like me. You lay down your life for your friends. I wonder if that was on his mind as he said this next chunk. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one is greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. You did not choose me. But I chose you, I appointed you to go and produce fruit that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is my command, love one another. This is kind of a weird little statement because Jesus is basically saying, listen, Jesus who is still our master is saying, not only am I your master, I'm your friend. I call you friends because you know what I'm doing. You know what I'm up to. I'm up to my father's business. What's my father's business? It's loving. And he said, so I call you my friends. Jesus as our master. Think about that. Think about the power dynamics at play with a master and a servant or even your boss, right? It's one thing to to have them tell you what to do. It's another thing for them to call you friends. It's an unequal relationship. But the master calls us his friend. How does he do so? Well, he tells us what God wants us to know, and Jesus picks us as his friend. He says, I want you as my friend. Most relationships are two people saying, I pick you. (laughs) What's great about this passage is Jesus is like, we're friends because I picked you. And, And think about that for a second. If it had been the other way around, If you had said, oh, this is all about me picking Jesus to be my friend, then you could unpick that friendship anytime you want. But Jesus is like, oh, no. No, 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 no. I picked you. Just like I did with Abraham, just like I did with Moses, I picked you to be my friend. And that should cause you to be absolutely amazed with all the sinful crap that I have going on in my life. He picks me. It's, it's astonishing. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. He was called a glutton and a drunkard because he hung out with gluttons and drunkards. And he was okay with that because he picked people as his friend. And so we should live that kind of life that has the joy that comes from Jesus. And other people will be like, well, why do you live like that despite your external circumstances that suck so bad? And we can say, because Jesus picked me as his friend. He's a friend of gluttons and drunkards and me. (laughs) And that should give us joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for Jesus. And we just pray that we would be people who abide in him 
that we would remain in him. And we just pray that you would do the work of making us love like him. Uh, We pray um, that in our community, uh, we would be people who represent that love, that we would live joyfully in external circumstances that are terrible, that suck, and when things are wintry and things are dry, we just pray that you would still continue to produce fruit in our lives. Help us to give one another grace in those winter and dark seasons when we don't have very much fruit in our lives, knowing that you are still at work and you're still gonna do that work in us. We thank you for Jesus. We pray that you would make us the most joyful people on the planet and help us to enjoy our relationship with him. We pray all this in his precious name, amen.